Hi there. Welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Stedham. How many of you like a story with a happy ending? Well, I think a lot of us like stories that have happy endings. We want to know that in the end, the hero of the piece is going to overcome adversity, the villain's going to be defeated, and the hero and heroine and whoever else is involved are the good people are going to live happily ever after. That's the way a good story ends for a lot of us. Today, we're going to look at the end of the Bible, the Omega, as it were, and we're going to talk about that symbolism in just a few moments. We're in the book of Revelation. We were there a few weeks ago, and uh, you may remember I made the comment that the book of Revelation is a tough study. This is not the kind of book that lends itself to an easy explanation. Part of that is because of the time it was written. It was written during the time when the Roman Empire was really cracking down on this new religion called Christianity. The Romans had a law. You were supposed to worship the Roman gods. You could worship your own gods as well, but you had the civic gods. You were expected to worship the emperors, both the one who was alive and the ones who were dead, the various Roman gods. And not worshiping them was seen as an act of being a traitor to the Roman Empire. You could get in a lot of trouble, get fed to the lions and all these things. And that kind of stuff was happening throughout the Roman Empire at the time when John was on the island of Patmos and was writing the book of Revelation. Last week I mentioned how the beautiful verses of Paul, who talked about how nothing will separate us from the love of God, not even death and persecution. He was writing for the same audience. He was writing uh, a good deal earlier than the book of Revelation. And things had only gotten worse from the time of Paul's letters and his probable execution in Rome to the time the book of Revelation is written. So the early Christians, when they received the letter as it was being circulated, the, the what we now call the book of Revelation, these people needed hope. They needed to see a good ending. They needed somebody to encourage them to keep on keeping on, as we might put it in modern parlance, because it was so easy for them to just turn away, worship the phony gods of the Roman Empire, and not get their heads chopped off. But the book of Revelation is a book that gives them a peek at the ending. It's showing them what's going to happen, and if they remain faithful to the gospel, they too will have that happy ending. So, the book of Revelation, we're in the 21st and 22nd chapters, the very end of the Bible, and we're going to look at some of the words that were most encouraging to the people. This is going to be the promised reward, the promised land that they're heading toward, and the writer, John, is encouraging them to stay with the faith because this is what will happen. We're going to begin reading in the 21st chapter of Revelation, and we will go through uh, verses 1 through 4 here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Once again, this had to be a beautiful vision for the early Christians to think about the world they were in passing away, the torture, the pain, the hatred, all the bad things around them, that's going to be gone, a new heaven and a new earth. We all like new things when old things wear out, uh, and it's wonderful to have something new. It's very interesting, by the way, uh, the vision that is given here. Uh, Not only is the earth going to be recreated and the heavens, both the sky, heavens above the earth, but also the heaven where God has been dwelling, they're going to be merged. God is going to live with God's people. And there was no longer any sea. Now, I I don't know about you, but I love the seashore. I love being at the beach. I love sitting on a balcony looking out over, uh, for many of us, going down to the Gulf of Mexico or the, the Atlantic Ocean, wherever the sea is, I love to look at it. We have a very different view of the sea today than the people did in ancient times. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, the sea is often a symbol of chaos, destruction. Leviathan lives out there, the dangerous monsters. And the sea is something that is feared throughout much of the scripture. And so a world that doesn't have the sea is a world that doesn't have the chaos, the danger that Jonah faced when he was in the belly of the beast and uh, the place where uh, people would be lost. Uh, Even in Jesus' day uh, and Paul, when Paul was doing his missionary journey, their sea voyages, generally they stayed pretty close to the shore. When they did go out into the deeper part of the ocean, dangerous and bad things could happen. So the new holy city, the new Jerusalem, is coming down prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her for her husband. It's a time of happiness, of reunion, of promise, of life coming from the sky. Then we get the promise, the voice, probably God's voice himself, speaking in the third person here, that God will be dwelling with men. There's a lot in the book of Revelation that goes right back to the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, the Alpha and the Alpha and the Omega. The Garden of Eden was intended as a place for God to share with human beings, with his creatures. In the afternoons, in the cool of the evening, God walked with Adam and Eve. God was there with them in the present. That was God's initial vision for the human race. What happened? Well, you know the three-letter word, sin. That's what keeps us from God. And Well, after all the give and take, the hero of the novel, the hero of the book, God, has overcome the various forces of evil, the things such as death and famine and all these things, and has now reconciled human beings, despite their initial sinful nature, and now we are going to return to a place that has the same relationship with God, that we would have had in the the Garden of Eden. 
We will be God's people. God himself will be there. And this is not just God sitting on a throne issuing orders for us. God's going to wipe away every tear. Think about who has ever wiped a tear away from your face? A parent, a child, somebody very close, a brother or sister. Somebody who wipes away tears for you is somebody who's very close to you and cares about you personally. This image of God is so different from the image of God that we often get from reading the scripture of the far away, distant, powerful God to be feared. This is the God, not that, not just the God that we love, but the God who loves us. And look at the things we don't have to worry about. Death, for one thing, and if nobody's dying, nobody is mourning, or crying, or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Again, what beautiful words of comfort this must have been for the early church, and frankly, for the last 2,000 years as Christians have faced trials, as we face trials in our lives today, to know that there is a promise of something out there for us. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. Everything from A to Z, from chapter 1 to the last chapter, whatever number that happens to be. All the way through, God is with us. God is taking care of us. And John is told to write this down. In John's day, in the days of the uh, New Testament, writing something down was an expensive, laborious process. Writing something down, it really meant something at that time. And again, the encouragement that we were discussing earlier to the one who overcomes, the one who stays with God, the one who continues to obey God, this is going to be the reward. And then finally, we're going to turn now to the 22nd chapter of Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible. There is some disagreement among biblical scholars about who is doing all the talking in this God's throne room scene. In the New International Version, the NIV, this is the version of the Bible I usually use for my Sunday school lessons, a lot of these next verses I'm going to read are in red ink. And we know what that means. These are words directly attributable to Jesus. Now, when God is speaking, or Jesus is speaking, because we believe in the Trinity, the three persons of God, we believe that pretty much it's the same, but there's still a distinction. Uh, And in this particular translation, and in others as well, I believe the King James has the same thing, uh, you will see these verses uh, in chapter 22, verse 12, will be in red ink. So Jesus is speaking, God is speaking, whatever, the message is the same. 
Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus is making this promise. Now, in the days of the New Testament, uh, people like Paul, John, the author of this book, they were looking for the second coming of Christ to come pretty soon. There were a lot of people alive in the first century who thought it was the last century, that the church would be around for 10, 20 years, whatever, then Jesus is going to come and the whole shooting match is over. Obviously, it didn't happen in that way, and we've been waiting for this for 2,000 years or more. But Jesus makes the promise, and he is coming soon. But once again, as we are reminded so often, God doesn't measure time in nearly the same way that humans measure time. And finally, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. This tree of life, if you think back to the very first story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we, we, we focus almost too much on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the one that causes the problems for us. When Adam and Eve eat from that fruit, it might have been an apple, it might have been a pomegranate, we don't know, but whatever that fruit was, that's where the trouble started. But also remember, there's another tree in the Garden of Eden. This is the one that gives eternal life. This is why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, but lest, as the Bible says, lest they go and eat from that, tr tr uh, from that tree and they gain immortal life. Now, we have the right to that tree. We have access to the tree. We can go through the gate into the city of promise. Just as Adam and Eve were thrown out of a gate, we are now allowed to come into the gate. So, Really, in the Bible, there's a lot of symmetry between the beginning and the end, the start and the conclusion, the Alpha and the Omega. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this vision of the end of time, the vision of the reward that you have planned for those who are faithful to you, for those who endure to the end, for those who remain faithful to your message. Help us to share this message of hope with all those around us this week. In Christ's name, amen.